Father, thank you that we are your children, that we no longer have to be slaves to fear. God, it's because of you, because of what you did, that we can stand here and sing. We can stand here and praise you. God, you have worked among all of us, among all of our lives this week, just like you do every day, God. I just pray that we would be cognizant enough to recognize where you're working, the things that you're doing. God, amidst any division or anger or hatred that is going on, you are mending broken hearts. You are mending broken relationships. So God, would you help us to be instruments in, in that mending, in that reconciliation, God? Because that's what you ask of us. That is our vocation. Lord, I pray for any needs that might be going on in our congregation, Lord, for any health needs, physical needs, Lord, emotional needs, mental needs, spiritual needs, God. We lift those up to you now. God, you know our hearts so intimately. You know us so deeply that we wouldn't even have to utter a word and you would come to our side. But God, thank you for, for prayer, for moments of coming to you and recognizing you and approaching you. God, thank you for, for being present to us, for being a good, good God. Lord, be with us today as we, as we hear the word preached. Would you, would you speak? Would you move? Um, and would these words not be, not be mine, but be yours? Lord, do a, do a new thing among us, we pray in your precious name. Amen. I move this. <laughs> All right, kids, it's time for you to go to church, but I have a really good joke for you. At least I laughed really hard at this. Uh, do we have any golfers in the room? Any people that enjoy golf? A couple, a few, okay. Why did the golfer wear two pairs of pants? Just in case he got a hole in one. <laughs> All right, kids, you can go to church. Thanks for laughing at my joke. Appreciate it. Um, I have to apologize if my voice is a little hoarse this morning. It's because I spent Friday and Saturday hanging out with teenagers, playing lots of games, and doing lots of yelling and singing and all that good stuff. Um, but we had a, um, a thing I've never been a part of, a virtual winter retreat this last weekend, Friday night and all day Saturday. Um, most of these teens are, are represented there in the front row and all over, but... Um, it, was, it was really a great opportunity. Um, the, the Intermountain District typically holds a winter retreat up at Trinity Pines in Cascade, but because of COVID and all those complications, we weren't able to go up there. So we got to do it here. Um, we got to worship together. We got to watch a, a live band from Tree City Church of the Nazarene in Boise. Um, and so we were worshiping with Nazarene teens all over the district, um, although we were just here in our local youth group. And it was a lot of fun. And we got to spend a lot of time playing games and worshiping and discussing and just talking about what God is doing in our lives. So it was a great opportunity. Um, I had a blast, but I'm a little bit tired. My voice is a little bit gone, but we're going we're gonna to get through today. 
So by using a thumbs up or a thumbs down, who here enjoys their job? And if you're retired, vote for the last job you had. <laughs> nice, we got a lot of thumbs up. Do we even have any thumbs down? I didn't see, I didn't see very, oh, okay. <laughs> if you're online watching on Facebook, I wanna see your thumbs up or thumbs down in the comments. Use your little emojis. Um, my boss is here, so I have to give a thumbs up. <laughs> totally joking, totally joking. I absolutely adore my job, and I couldn't see myself doing anything different. You see, the thing about jobs is that they're significant, right? They shape us in ways we may not even realize, for good or for bad. They shape us because they are a part of just our everyday lives, right? We wake up, we go to work, we come home. A lot of our day is spent doing the jobs that we have. I remember one job that I had. I worked at a movie theater. I ate so much popcorn that that job shaped me in more ways than one, if you know what I mean. But working at the movie theater, that was the third job I had, actually. My first job was at a water park, cleaning up tables and picking up garbage. I didn't have the dignified job of being a, uh, a lifeguard. I had to clean up after, after people. That was an adventure. My second job was as a receptionist at a dentist office, so that was slightly more dignified. Um, and a lot of fun. That was in my junior year of high school. Um, but I don't think that a job truly shaped me until I worked at this movie theater, and I'll tell you why. That was the first time that I really felt like I got to work with people or like actually help people. Um, I mean, I kind of worked with people at my first two jobs, but not to the same extent that I did at this movie theater. I, I worked at the movie theater for about two years in my senior year of high school and part of college and I learned things about myself at that odd job that I didn't know about myself before doing it. Um, how many of you have, have learned things about yourselves from the jobs that you do? I think we all learn, learn things about ourselves, good and bad. Um, but I learned that I love helping people. I learned that I love hearing people's stories. I learned that I love popcorn a lot. <laughs> but I would love when somebody would come back for a refill on their soda or their popcorn so that I could continue a conversation I, I started with them before their movie started, right? Um, I'd be like, how's the movie going? I, you know, is it, is it good? I, need, I haven't seen it yet. Um, now, at this point in my life, I had already kind of sensed a call to ministry, to be a pastor. I experienced that my junior year of high school. And so I was in college classes for ministry at this time, and I don't know if I realized how much this random job at the movie theater was preparing me for my true vocation in life, what I'm, what I'm doing now. In our text for today, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we'll see a group of guys doing their jobs. Pretty basic stuff. Maybe they enjoyed it, maybe they didn't. But what we will really see is a group of guys being called into their vocation. You see, sometimes the words job and vocation are used interchangeably. But we're going to hopefully reshape our imagination of what vocation means. Before our text, so we get to learn a little bit more about John the Baptist's story. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Um, how John prepared the way for Jesus to begin his ministry. You see, John the Baptist was baptizing people, hence his name, who desired to change their lives and ask for forgiveness. He's preparing the way for Jesus to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we pick up in our text today which is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Um, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, would you stand as you are willing and able today? So Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. 
After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. As Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. After going a little farther, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat repairing the fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them, and they followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Now, I think my favorite part of that text is this immediacy of action for these guys, these four guys, these common fishermen. Now, it could be that the writer of Mark was simply abridging the story for the sake of time and space. However, the writer of Mark uses the words right away. Many versions of the text use the word immediately, which is truer to the, to the Greek, um, and that implies exactly what it means. Simon, Andrew, James, and John dropped their nets without even questioning. If we knew anything about Simon, who's later called Peter, we know that he asks lots of questions. So why the immediate response and obedience here before he even really knows this guy, Jesus? We're going to talk about this more in a little bit. But one assumption we can make from the text and many biblical scholars do this, um, is that these four men have probably already interacted with Jesus to some capacity. Uh, they most likely heard some of his teachings as he was going around the temples, um, although it is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, but they, they could have also been part of John the Baptist's little crew that was traveling around. We don't know that for sure. Um, nevertheless, this is their first personal interaction with Jesus in the text that we have. One other assumption we can make, and I say assumption, that's because we don't know this for sure, but one thing we can possibly assume from the text is that when Mark is writing about John the Baptist being arrested, he's likely also referring to his death. And he's just, he's sparing the readers. And not only that, but news of this arrest probably got around pretty quickly among John's followers. So the four main gentlemen in our passage today, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, likely know that John is in prison and possibly even dead. So keep these things in mind as we, as we move forward today. Imagine someone coming to you at your job and telling you to stop doing what you're doing and leave. Would you do it? <laughs> I'm sure your answer depends on who is actually telling you to leave um, and what they're asking you to leave for. See, if somebody came and told me, hey, I'm going to Disneyland, stop what you're doing and come with me, I'll be like, I'm going. Bye, Trent. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe. But these four men in our text likely didn't know what was going to happen if they left their job, if they dropped these nets and followed Jesus. They didn't sit and calculate the risks, though they may have assumed what the risks might be based on what happened to John the Baptist. They didn't ask Jesus what the compensation package was going to be. And they didn't ask their boss if it was okay for them to leave. One writer wrote that their response to Jesus' invitation is immediate and complete. Maybe they knew that Jesus was going to ask them to be disciples. Or maybe that realization took some time. 
what we can gather from this text is that they started their journey with Jesus right after our text for today, as they headed into Capernaum, where Jesus began teaching and was actually confronted right, right there in the story by a man with an unclean spirit, kind of pounding Jesus and saying, who do, who do you think you are? And shortly after that, Jesus heals a man with a skin disease. So I can just imagine these disciples, these four guys fresh in this new vocation that maybe they don't know about yet. They may have thought to themselves, is it too late to go back to the boats? <laughs> Many might read this text and assume that Jesus' first day as a teacher was in Capernaum after he called these four men. Um, but actually, his first lesson that we have in the Gospel of Mark is at the beginning of our passage today. He says, now is the time. Here comes the kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Uh, many translations of that verse, verse 15, say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe in the good news. And the translation I read in the Common English Bible, it's basically a translation of other translations of, of repent and believe the good news. It says, change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. The Greek word for repent, I'll give you a little Greek lesson, or change um, in our text is metanoeo, which refers not simply to turning back to God after we've turned away, but a literal changing of one's heart and mind, something happening and changing within you. And the Greek word for believe in the text is pisteuo, which describes the act of believing or trusting something on the basis of its truthfulness and reliability. So repentance requires change. Believing requires trust. Is the good news to which Jesus is referring good enough to change? Is it trustworthy? In our earlier scripture reading that Taylor read for us um, in Jonah, we saw this major example of repentance and trust. You see, God was going to overthrow the city of Nineveh because the people had become an evil people, sinning against God and sinning against one another. But it was Jonah's somewhat willingness. If you know the story of Jonah, you know he was a little stubborn. It was his somewhat willingness as a messenger of God and a change of heart in the Ninevites that spared them. It read in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. The people of Nineveh showed their repentance by fasting and mourning their sins. This is why they use a sackcloth. It's a, it's a ritual that they would use, um, a ritual of confession and repentance for their sins. But more than wondering about the Ninevites, I find myself wondering a little more about Jonah. Why did God choose Jonah, a pretty ordinary person who was pretty stubborn, to bring a message to Nineveh? What was, what was significant about Jonah? And why does Jesus choose Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and later the other eight, pretty or ordinary guys with ordinary lives, to be his disciples? We don't have to spend much time in the Gospels to learn that Jesus is modus operandi, in fact, God's MO throughout all of scripture, is that he chooses the ordinary, the small, and sometimes insignificant characters to bring about change and good news. 
Um, one writer that I came across this week, William Barclay, writes, the disciples were simple folk. They didn't come from the schools and colleges. They were not drawn from the religious elite or the aristocracy. They were neither learned nor wealthy. They were fishermen. That is to say, they were ordinary people. But this is what really got me. He wrote a few sentences later. We should never think so much of what we are as of what Jesus Christ can make us. I kind of love that. We, can, we should never think so much of what we are as of what Jesus Christ can make us. That should be a bumper sticker or something. Maybe I'll turn it into one. See, these original disciples didn't stop and say, but we're just common fishermen. I like to believe that they simply trusted and believed that Jesus was going to make them into something great. Or maybe they didn't know that this was more than a one-day commitment. <laughs> on that note, I want to spend a little more time on this concept of vocation. Often we think, like I said before, vocation means job or occupation. You know, when you fill out paperwork, it says what's your vocation, and you fill out what your job is, right, what you do for a living. The terms are used interchangeably sometimes. But if you're like me, you like to use a thesaurus. Does anybody else like to use a thesaurus? Does everybody in here know what that is? Um, to look up synonyms or on Microsoft Word or on the computer, you can just Google it or, or right-click and go to the synonyms tab. Um, but I like to look up the synonyms to get a better perspective on a word's meaning, uh, to, to see what other words kind of come up. Um, I know, it's kind of nerdy, but in college I use that function a lot because I like to spruce up my paper. So if, I was like, what's a fancier version of this word? But when you right-click on the word job in Microsoft Word and scroll down to the synonyms tab, here's the list that comes up on my computer, at least. It says occupation, work, trade, profession, career, employment, contract, business, position, or post. So for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, their job was being fishermen. That was their trade, their profession. And that was a pretty common profession for where they lived. They lived along a sea. When I did the same thing with the word vocation, however, this is the list that came up. Calling, aptitude, inclination, talent, bent, urge, ability, career, and profession. So there's a little bit of overlap in those lists, right? So, but some major differences, I think. You see, a job assumes employment, maybe some kind of contract, probably. It's what you do. A vocation, on the other hand, implies calling, inclination, and urge. It has more to do with who you are, or perhaps what Jesus can make you. One thing I believe this passage might be saying to us, at least what it has spoken to me this week, is that perhaps God wants us to experience a transformation of vocation. See, we're in this new year and diving into this new theme, this calling as a church, right? Becoming new, laying the foundation of transformation. So what would it mean to allow ourselves to experience a transformation of vocation? It doesn't mean quitting your job. It might. In fact, your job could be one way that you actually live into this vocation. Technically, if you've made this decision to follow Christ, this transformation has already begun. Jesus 
has already started this transformation in you. The moment you said yes to Jesus, it was started. We've been made new creations in Christ. And we're also made disciples, like these four ordinary guys in our passage. And like the calling of these first disciples in our passage, Jesus has called us into our lifelong vocation as his disciples, his followers. Discipleship is this vocation to which we are called. It's not only about what we do, but about who we are, who Jesus can make us. And although these four men, now Jesus' disciples, immediately dropped their nets to follow him, out of what I think was pure trust, we know from their stories, if you continue reading in the Gospels, that they struggled and they failed at times, right? One writer I came across this week made a really important observation about this call to discipleship. Elton John Brown wrote, Ahead for those original disciples and for us, there is much to learn, much stumbling, misunderstanding, and backsliding. Becoming a faithful Christian disciple takes both a moment and a lifetime. Both a moment and a lifetime. It isn't a one-and-done type thing, uh, but one that requires consistent surrender and even sacrifice. See, those first disciples dropped their nets immediately when Jesus called them, but perhaps they were still holding on to other nets, things they were accustomed to, the things that were familiar and comfortable. As I mentioned before, I can imagine these were moments, there were moments where these guys wondered how easy it would be to just go back to what they were doing before, to their jobs as fishermen instead of embracing this new vocation as fishers of men, because fish are less complicated than humans. Oh, how much easier life was before. No unclean spirits, no lepers, no run-ins with the Pharisees. While Jesus certainly uses our gifts and our talents for this new vocation as disciples, like he did these fishermen, Jesus also calls us to be willing to drop what we're used to, what we've held on to for so long, perhaps with this white knuckle grip, and pick up a new way of life, a new path. And that's the path of discipleship, our true Christian vocation. So what does that mean? What does this vocation entail? Um, what's on the job description? Just kidding, they're different. Well, all we really need to do is read the stories of these disciples to know what it looks like, right? Healing, praying, eating with sinners, fasting, walking with Jesus. It's a little different for us because we don't have the privilege of following Jesus in the flesh, right? What we do have, however, is the good news of what Jesus did for us, of what Jesus did for everyone. What we do have is the promise and hope of a new creation. And that promise is already coming into fruition, right? We're already experiencing this new creation the moment Jesus died on the cross. But what nets are you still holding on to? It's kind of hard to do stuff when our hands are full, right? It's hard to do the work of the kingdom when we're still holding on to what we're used to. Jesus was teaching his disciples all along, um, and Jesus is teaching us 
that the way of discipleship requires us to be willing to drop those nets and follow him. For Jonah, he needed to drop his stubbornness and, and assumptions about God. These disciples needed to drop not just their literal nets, but a whole lot more. James and John even let go of some family ties, as we see in the story. Now, I don't believe God is asking us to drop our families as much as some of you might want to. But this, significant, this is significant in the text because it speaks to this radical call of being a disciple, that these men would even consider leaving their family to become disciples of Jesus. Drop the pride, drop the grudges, drop the anger and hatred and division. Those have no place in God's kingdom. Now, being a disciple might require much of us. It might require a change of mindset. It might and probably will require some sacrifice. And it certainly does require a transformation of our imagination of vocation. We still have our jobs, right? We still have jobs to do, the things we do every day. But the cool thing about vocation is that we can live into it while we're doing those jobs. We can live into this vocation, this path of discipleship, in the midst of the ordinary, mundane, everyday tasks, because this vocation doesn't have a start and end time. We don't clock in at 9 a.m. and clock out at 5 p.m. We're disciples 24-7. And we all share this vocation, this calling to be disciples, right? What are you going to do with it? How will you allow God to transform you this year? And how will we, as a community of believers, allow God to shape our vocation corporately? Maybe you want to join a life group. Maybe you want to start a life group. Perhaps you want to volunteer for the youth group or children's ministry. And I don't say that just because I'm the youth pastor. <laughs> Maybe you feel passionate about something that needs to be happening in our community or in our church that you would like to see happening. Whatever it is that is on your heart, lean into that transformation that God has started in you, that is stirring within your heart and mind. Don't ignore it. God wants to do something in you, in all of us. Trent mentioned last week that the thing about new creation is that it's new. It takes time. The call to be a disciple takes time. Don't give up because things don't happen quickly. It takes both a moment and a lifetime. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. Um, and as we prepare our hearts to respond, I want to assure you that the call to be a disciple isn't an easy one. Those of you who have been doing it for a long time know that but you also know that it's worth it. See, Jesus calls us not to ease or inactivity, but to service and to action. One final quote that I came across in my reading this week said, the disciples may and often will fail Jesus and disappoint him, but their role is still crucial to the achievement of his mission. For it is through this flawed and vulnerable group of people that God's kingship will be established. God wants to use you. God wants to use us to establish his kingdom. 
sit on that for a second. God wants to use us to establish his kingdom. It's pretty cool when you let it simmer for a minute. We're going to fail sometimes, just like the original 12 disciples did. But instead of giving up and going back to life before knowing Jesus, to the easy things, could we allow God to use those failures, to use those mistakes to shape us and change our hearts? God, that is our prayer this morning, that you would change us, do something new within us, that we would respond not with frustration or or anger, God, but that we would allow you to shape us, to transform us into your disciples. May we live into that calling, that vocation, Lord. And may we not focus so much on what we are, but what you can make us, we pray. Let's sing together. close out today we're going to sing the song i will follow the chorus says this where you go i'll go where you stay i'll stay when you move i'll move i will follow you whom you love i'll love how you serve i'll serve if this life i lose i will follow you as i sing that that line it's not about <laughs> it's not about mortality it's not about losing our life literally. So it's allowing our identity to be shaped by the vocation God has placed on our lives. So I invite you as you sing this song to just think about that truth, about that reality, and about how these four men laid down their nets to follow Christ.